For the Battle of Two Souls is really based on the primary work of Chassidus called the Tanya. And two years ago, we did a class on the Tanya, it's on the podcast, uh, where we spoke about what exactly the Tanya is and what it's about. But it's a very important work, um, and you can, of course, get it. It's online. Um, there's a lot of great classes on the Tanya. Uh, but the Two Souls is one of the Battle of Two Souls is one of the main themes of the Tanya. So today, I'm going to focus not on the book itself, but on that particular theme. Rabbi, what does Tanya literally mean? So Tanya means it was taught. And it's really the opening word of the book. The author actually called the book Likute Amarim, a collection of teachings. Um, but somehow it became known over time, it became known by the first word of the book. That's, that's, just, that's, that Aramaic. that's Aramaic. So we believe that every person is not a body, but a soul. <laughs> In other words, the real I, the real individual is the soul. Within each person, there is a soul. When we say I, when I say me, who, is, who am I? I am not my body. I am not my heart. I am not my brain. I am not my arms. I am not my body. I am rather something that lives in my body, exists within my body, but that cannot be pinpointed, and we call that a soul. When I talk to you, who am I talking to? I'm not talking to your eyes. I don't talk to your ears. I don't even talk to your brain. I talk to you as a person. Who is you? You is not a physical piece that can be pinpointed, but it is the soul, the consciousness of the person themselves, the individual. So we believe that every single person is not a body, but it is a soul. The soul is the real I. That is me. When I'm conscious, I'm aware, I feel, I know, I see, I understand, I communicate. So what's doing all those actions? What moves my lips, what tells my lips what to say, that is all my body, my eyes see, my ear hears, but, and my brain processes. But what is aware of everything? What is aware of what I'm saying? What is allowing me to consciously speak, to interpret what I'm seeing, to interpret what I'm hearing? Who is reading it all? It's the I behind that. And that is what we call a soul. So we cannot see the soul. We cannot feel a soul. We cannot even describe a soul because it's a non-tangible thing. We cannot pinpoint it. But that is who we really are. That is the real person. We cannot see the soul. We can see what it does. It is ourselves. It is the individual. It what's, it's what makes the person function. And the truth is that not just people have a soul. Every animal has a soul as well. Not just animals have souls. Every living thing has a soul that holds it together and makes it function. Anything that's alive has a soul that holds it together. If it's alive, meaning it's functioning as a single unit, who's holding it together? What's making it be alive? It's a soul. Everything has a soul. Chassidus goes further, explains that even 
stones have souls, but that's a different type of soul and beyond our subject. <laughs> so, but humans are unique. While most things that are alive have a soul, humans have not one soul, but two souls. We are unique that we don't just have one soul, we have two souls. Jewish traditions and Kabbalah explains that a, every person is made up of two souls. One soul is called in Hebrew, nefesh habahamit, the animal soul, or sometimes referred to as nefesh hativit, the natural soul. Why is it called an animal? Because it's the source of our animal-like instincts. The animal soul is instinctive. It's what makes me respond in different ways. Something happens, I respond automatically. I'm instinctive. But what's unique about the animal soul is it is self-centered. It is the I that is always thinking about me. And the way the I works, the way my conscious animal soul works, is it's always thinking, what's in it for me? Whether self-preservation, how will I survive? Self-enhancement, how will I thrive? Or self-gratification, how will I enjoy? But what do I get from it? What does it give me? And this animal soul, which is self-centered, it revolves around me. What do I get? What's in it for me? How do I feel? How do I think? What do I want? What do I care? Why should I do it? Right? It's all about me. So this animal soul that's within us drives most of what we do. Good things, bad things. You get up in the morning, your animal soul is what makes you get up. You're hungry. Who feels hungry? It's the animal soul. You are somebody hits, insults you, you're offended, it's your animal soul. You decide to do something productive, it's your, you think you're going to get something out of it. You, it's your animal soul. Whatever you do, it's essentially your animal soul. Both good and bad things are our animal soul. Now, the truth is that there's really two sides to it. There's an animal of this natural soul. The animal soul is an instinctive animal within us. That acts like an animal. Does whatever it needs for self-preservation, for self-gratification, for self-enhancement, to enhance myself, to be a better me. But it's always about myself. Now, alongside the animal soul, and this is still part of the natural soul, the natural soul subdivides into this animalistic side, as well as there is what we call an intellectual soul. The intellectual soul, now the, the animal soul is intelligent too, but the intellectual soul allows us, is more than just instinctive like the animal soul. It allows us to plan long term. We have this, in, this intellectual side within us that sometimes itself battles the animal side within us, that allows us, to, um, allows us to think of delayed gratification. I'm not going to do what I enjoy now, because if I do that, let's say roll over and go back to sleep, 
because if I do that, I won't be productive. I'll get much greater gratification if I don't, right? If I do, if I do something I don't feel like doing right now, I'll get, it will still help me, right? The, the intellectual soul is still self-centered, but it's able to delay gratification. Animals aren't really good at that. But, but humans have the ability to think long-term. How will I get even better gratification? I really want to eat this food, but it's not good for me. That's my animal soul really wants to eat it. But then the intellectual side of this natural soul, there's one second, it's going to end up making me unhealthy. It's going to cause me long-term harm. It's really not worth it, right? Intellectual part, still self-centered, just a little more sophisticated, right? It's a more sophisticated form of being self-centered, right? Temporary pain or loss for a long-term gain. It's also able to appreciate things besides just feels good, right? So in the animal side of the soul likes things that feel good. Food, uh, you know, uh, social gratification, sexual gratification, things that are immediate gratification, things that feel good, the animal soul likes. The intellectual soul can recognize that these other values, to me, still self-centered, that are important to me. I will do anything for my child. Because I see the child as an extension of myself. It's still about myself. But it's a more sophisticated form of me. Or I will work towards a higher value because I want to be a better person. Again, still me. But it's the intellectual soul is a little bit more sophisticated. But still centered on myself. What's in it for me? So we have this natural soul, which has two sides to it, an animalistic side, which is very instinctive, focused on by instant preservation, gratification, enhancement, what's in it for me, focused on myself. And then we have a more sophisticated side of the natural soul, um, a more intelligent soul that allows us to... Um, that, that allows us to, rec to, uh, to recognize long-term gratification, long-term gains, how I can gain in the long run, and more sophisticated ways I can be a better me, or I can live a better life, or I can have a better me. Still self-centered, still focused on me. Then, so that's all the natural soul. Then there is, that's one soul, which has, again, the natural soul splits, subdivides into two parts, intellectual and animal side. Then we have another soul. The second soul is a godly soul. When God created Adam, the Torah tells us God breathed a soul into Adam. That soul that God breathed was a part of himself, his own breath, so to speak. God, of course, has no breath. God is beyond um, form. But it's a metaphor to say God himself placed a piece of himself, so to speak, inside of Adam and inside of each and every person. Each person has a godly soul within them. This godly soul is not self-centered. It is God-centered. 
It wants to do not what's in it for me or what I want or what will enhance me or what will make my life better or what I will enjoy, but it wants to do what God wants me to do, to follow God's instructions to me. It's here to make sure that I do what I'm supposed to be doing, what God has instructed me to do, why God has placed me on earth as his agent here on earth to follow his instructions for me. So the godly soul is a part within us that wants to do not what I want, not what I like, but wants to do the right thing. It's a part within each of us that we want to do the right thing. We're driven to do the right thing. Now, this godly soul within us is, we're not generally conscious of our godly soul. We're not consciously aware of our godly soul, but it is there in our subconsciousness. It is there within us, and it constantly inspires us, and it constantly pushes us to want to do the right thing. Think of it as, as our conscience. Every person has this natural conscience, this sense that I should do the right thing. I shouldn't do the wrong thing, even if it may be harmful for me to do the right thing. It's not in my best interests. doesn't matter. It's the right thing to do, so you do it. So it's always inspiring us and pushing us to do the right thing, the right thing to find as what God wants from us. Yes. Okay, now wasn't there something about a Jewish soul that non-Jews didn't have? There is. There is, but both Jews and non-Jews have these two sides of the soul. There's a difference between them, we do believe, between Jews and non-Jews. Um, Jews have a special soul. You are right. So, so there's three souls? No. No, there's two. <laughs> what if you're fulfilling a mitzvah but for selfish reasons? Which soul is that true? Excellent question. Let, let's see how the souls work, and hopefully we'll have a better understanding. So the two souls are not equal within us. Our primary experience, in other words, the I that we were talking about earlier, I am aware, I am talking to you, I know what I want, I am making decisions, I am choosing to do various things. That I, that conscious I, is our natural soul. What we are conscious of, what we are aware of, is our natural soul. Our experience is the natural soul in its two sides. We have this instinctive side that we are very aware of, that exists within us, that is pulling us, uh, and keeps pulling us to do various things that don't necessarily make sense, and are not necessarily wise, but we all have this instinctive side to us that keeps pulling us, and then we are all intellectual. We know and understand that not always is what we're instinctively driven to do a good thing. Not always is that the right thing. Not always is it good for us even. Not always instant gratification doesn't always pay in the long run. You can eat a lot of garbage, but you'll end up suffering for it. It doesn't pay, right? So we have the intellectual soul that we're conscious of, our intelligence that allows us to step above and beyond our instincts, allows us to see a greater 
kind of greater opportunity, long-term gratification, or even greater values for ourselves, values of family, values of friendship, values of ideals, things that are still for me, right, still self-centered, but more sophisticated than the instinctive animalistic instincts that we have. And that is all we're conscious of, our animal soul and our intellectual soul. We are not conscious of our godly soul. Our godly soul is this sense deep inside of us that we're not conscious of that pulls us to do the right thing. This sense that we should always be doing the right thing. Now, this godly soul is deep in our subconsciousness, but it's always inspiring us. We're not consciously aware of it but it is inspiring us, empowering us, to the point that when we're doing the wrong thing, we feel guilty. We have this natural guilt. It's coming from our godly soul. We can't seem to get rid of it. We feel this guilt. Why? It's part of our godly soul. So, the God, this godly soul is deep in our subconsciousness, but it's always inspiring us and always impacting us. But the truth is that we believe that our conscious animalistic instinctive soul and our conscious intellectual soul are not who we really are. That's not the real one. Even though that's what I see as myself, that's what I'm aware of, that's not who I really am. The real I, the real individual, is that godly soul. That's who I really am deep. I'm not even conscious of my real self. But that is my real self. And that is what really makes me be who I am. And that is what really makes me a person. That godly soul, that godly purpose that, has dri that drives us. That sense of right and wrong. That deeper sense of self, that spark of God that wants us to do the right thing. That is our true deeper selves. And that is why when we do the right thing, we feel so much better about ourselves. It makes us so much happier. When we follow our animal soul, when we follow our instinctive soul, or even we follow our intellectual soul to do things to better enhance ourselves, to better preserve ourselves, or to follow, uh, to, to work towards things that are ultimately self-centered, we don't feel good about ourselves. We ultimately still feel guilt. We still don't feel whole. We still feel our missing meaning. When do we truly feel good about ourselves? When do we truly feel live, that, we are, that our lives are meaningful and valuable? When we follow our godly soul, when we follow our mission and purpose, when we do the right thing. So it is the godly soul that is really our true selves. Even though we're not conscious of, of it, we're conscious of our animal soul and our intellectual soul, we're not so conscious of our godly soul. We're not really conscious of our godly soul. Yet that is our true deeper selves. Yes, Mark? So, uh, so why are some people more um, one way or the other? Some people are more focused on the godly soul. Some people are on the uh, animal soul. What? what, uh, what Everyone struggles. Everyone struggles with it. Everyone what? Everyone battles. It's, yeah, it's a battle. Some battle more than the others. Some battle more than others. Yes. That may be because God created you a certain way, okay. or it may be because of your own effort, your own work. Some people work harder than others. Some people so all these people in jail, they didn't uh, 
Everyone has a godly soul. Yeah, well, they didn't, it wasn't very strong. It wasn't strong enough. Strong enough, okay. See, here's the thing. From early on in our lives, we, our two souls, battle each other. Each day we are pulled in opposite directions by our differing souls. Now, mind you, our animal soul and our intellectual soul battle each other as well. But the animal soul wants to move towards instant gratification, animalistic, instinctive, our instincts. And um, our intellectual soul says, that's not so smart. It's not good for me, right? Still self-centered, right? So they battle each other too. But the real battle of life is the battle between our animal and our, our na- the two sides of our natural soul, the animal and intellectual soul, against our godly soul. The animal and intellectual soul wants to do what's in it for me, what I'm going to get out of it. Our godly soul wants to do the right thing. Now we have these two sides in us that are constantly, constantly battling. And the Tanya tells us that our lives... From when we're born, or not long after we're born, when we begin, to, when we become old enough to make decisions um, for ourselves, until the day we die, is a battle between these souls. Our life is always, always a battle. Every day you wake up, you are going to battle between your two sides: your self-centered side and your God-centered side. Am I going to do what's good for me, or am I going to do what the? Am I going to do the right thing? Now that battle is constant within our lives. Every single person has it every single day of their lives, and it never goes away because these two souls are part of us. They are who we are. They are our identity. So because that's who you are, you cannot get rid of it. You're always going to have an instinctive side that's going to say, what's in it for me? I want to do it because it's good for me, even if it's wrong. You're always going to have an instinctive side that's going to say, and even if we have the animal side, um, a self-centered side, an animalistic side, an instinctive side of the self-centered side that says, I feel like I need it now. And then you'll always have the godly side They'll have the intellectual soul that will say, is it smart? Is it the right thing? Is it a wise thing to do? Will it really help me over the long term? But then you ultimately have the godly soul that says, is this the right thing to do? And this is a battle that we go through each and every day of our lives. Now what we can do is we can get better at fighting the battle or get weaker at fighting the battle. The more you win doing the right thing, the easier it gets to do the right thing. The more you win following your instincts, the harder it gets not to follow your instincts. You kind of get used to it. But even somebody who has been successful their whole life in overcoming their instincts, it's still there. It doesn't disappear. And so they still face battles. And even those who have spent their whole life fighting their instincts, uh, uh, following their instincts, they still have this 
um, conscience inside them that makes them feel guilty and makes them feel bad. That's why our sages say that even the most righteous person can sin, can do bad. And that is why they say that wicked people live there. It's not easy to be bad either. It's not easy to be good. But it's not easy to be bad because bad people spend their whole life regretting, feeling living with the guilt for what they do. Uh, because they have this godly soul. They have this, um, they have this um, conscience that makes them feel guilty. This also explains to us that people, and this is very different than popular culture, people are not naturally good, as some parts of popular culture think that all people are just good. If you just let them express themselves and you don't harm them, everyone's good naturally. And people are not naturally bad either. Um, people are not good and bad. It's a Puritan belief that was uh, very much, uh, it still is very much uh, kind of in, built into this culture that you have good people and bad people. You're either a good person or you're a bad person. Um, and we don't believe that people are neutral either. We believe We believe that people are made up of good and bad. People have a self-centered, which includes both animalistic, instinctive, and intellectual self-centered selves, as well as a God-centered self that is focused on right and wrong. We are both good and bad. And that explains why people who do a lot of good, spend their whole life doing good, can do bad. Sometimes we're shocked. That person's done so much good. How could they have done something wrong? How could they have done bad? Well, they still have the evil inclination. They're still self-centered. They still have that animal soul. They could still do bad. No matter what, how much good they've done. And the same is also the other way. People who have done a lot of bad can do good as well. In fact, even as people are doing good, Often in the same act or at the same moment, they're doing bad things as well. And the other way around. As people are doing bad, they're doing good things as well. We once did a class, uh, about a year ago, we did a class, are people, can people be truly bad? And we explained everyone has a good side, has a godly soul, and an animalistic soul. You have these two sides within you. So even while you're bad, you can do good as well. Even while you're good, you do bad as well. Everybody has both sides. And everybody is constantly battling. The battle never ends every single day. You might be 90 years old. You could still be doing bad. doesn't matter. You still face challenges. You still face a self-centered, uh, animalistic, instinctive soul that is pulling you in one direction and a God, intellectual soul, godly soul, that are pulling you in other directions. We always face this battle each and every day, no matter who we are, no matter what we've achieved in our lifetime. Can I have a question yes. of what is the right thing to do. 
They don't develop a consciousness of guilt. They, they follow what they're taught, what they know. So we're taught Torah. We follow Torah. <coughs> good, right? But if you're not, and you're taught, it's okay to rob, it's okay, this person is, doesn't matter, we can shoot them, and whatever they're taught of, of corruption from an early age, I don't understand so I would disagree with that. Our environment um, has a very strong influence on how easy it is to do the right thing and the wrong thing. And there's no question about it that how we're raised and as well as our, our environment, as well as our, our, our character and kind of na our natural um, character, uh, a lot of a temperament, a lot of it has a great impact on how easy the, or hard the battle is. However, we believe that everybody has a natural sense of right and wrong. In fact, if you didn't believe that everyone had a sense of natural sense of right and wrong, you would not be able to punish people for doing wrong if they grew up in a society that didn't, you know, kind of allowed for bad things. So we believe, and I think all society believes this, just the fact that we punish people for doing bad, no matter where they grew up, that everyone has a natural sense of right and wrong. Not necessarily in very complex you know, questions, but definitely in basic questions like stealing and murdering and the like. So I would disagree with you. Do you think that the Nazis should be punished for their crimes? Of course. Could they be blamed for it? They were raised as Nazis. Should they be blamed? Yeah, they were taught. they were taught. They're indoctrinated. They're brainwashed. So can you blame? Can you blame them? Is it fair to punish them? What? Is it fair to punish them? Yeah. The reason for the punishment is that that stands to they will avoid. Do they deserve to be punished? Uh, yes. Is yes. it their fault? Well, whether it's their fault or it's, uh, it's just. I think it is relevant. I think it would be wrong to punish people for um, things that they're not at fault for. If somebody, you know, killed accidentally, it was beyond their control. Or was mentally ill, you won't punish them, right? Um, so if you sincerely believe that people who are raised to do bad have no choice to do bad, then you would never punish people who are raised that way. Um, we as a society, and I as an individual, believe that people do have a natural sense of right and wrong. There's no question that it's more difficult. So you can call it a mitigating circumstance that may be it's more, it was more difficult for them to make the right decision, but that doesn't justify their actions. No, not justify. But they don't feel guilty about it. If they were raised, so they, they don't do. Feel no guilt. So they do. We're getting a little off topic. They do. We did a class about a year ago where we spoke about whether people can truly be bad, and one of the things that we pointed out was that there is a lot of evidence that the Nazis felt guilty. In fact, that was for the Nazi commanders. 
that was one of their biggest challenges, how to deal with the PTSD that the Nazi that the Nazis felt in from killing people. Uh, it was a very very big challenge that they had to deal with. Uh, yes, they definitely did feel so guilty, and we did know. I don't know about Hitler himself, guilty? and there may be exceptions. I don't know, um, but there is no question that the. SS men did feel guilty by and large, even though maybe not everyone. Um, and there's no question that we know um, that people who do a lot of bad do feel guilty. Yeah, otherwise they wouldn't try to destroy right. In fact, what we pointed out in that class, I know we're off topic, but everyone seems fascinated. But what we pointed out in that class is that we now know um, with um, evidence that we have now we now know that the reason why the Nazis switched from shooting their victims to gassing their victims was because of the they were losing officers um, because the officers could not handle um, the murders, um, and th that was the primary reason. Even though it was more difficult logistically and more expensive, it was not cheaper or easier. Uh, they they switched it simply because they lost way too many officers. To insanity or to um, you know to um, to to trauma um, from the killings. Uh, so yeah, it's, it was it was a problem for them, and we know that people that are uh, people that do bad live with guilt. Uh, yes. So uh, let's get back to our subject uh, of of the two souls. So every person, people that do bad can do good as well. People that do good could do bad as well. And we find people that do bad do good simultaneously. People that do good do bad simultaneously because we have these two sides within us. And we are both good and bad. We have, both a, we have an instinctive, so, a natural soul, which is made up of an instinctive side that just thinks of instant gratification. Um, instinctively, what's in it for me? We have that the natural soul has a more sophisticated um, intellectual side that can think of more sophisticated gratification and self-advancement um, or other more complex values that help me, um, such as family or other values. But uh, and then we have a godly soul that we're not conscious of, but it's inside of us and we feel it because it makes us feel the sense of right and wrong that makes us want to do the right thing just because it's the right thing, not because we gain anything out of it. So this teaches us also that anyone can change. If somebody's been doing a lot of bad, they can switch and do good. Anyone who's been doing a lot of good can also switch and do bad. It works both ways. A person should never say, oh, I can't do bad. The Talmud says, don't trust yourself until the day you die. Because every day you're battling. You can still lose that battle when you're 90 years old or 99 years old. You can still lose that battle. It maybe becomes harder to do bad. But you can still lose the battle each and every day of your life, each and every day that you battle. Uh, the same... <coughs> The same, can also, uh, the same also happens the other way. People who have done bad their, own, their whole life can switch because they still have that godly soul. They have that sense of conscience, that sense of right and wrong, and they can switch as well. It also teaches us that every good action and every bad action stands alone. They don't cancel each other out. 
if people were all good and you did one small bad thing, then uh, you know what? I'm a good person. I did one small thing, right? So it doesn't really count. But recognizing that you're a good and bad person, you have a good side to you and a bad side to you, means every good thing that you did, you did from your good side, from your godly soul. Every bad side you did, every bad thing you did, you did from your instinctive animalistic soul. So we can, so every action that we do stands alone, counts on its own. It doesn't kind of add up into the kind of this big sum. And so long as you're more good than bad, you're okay. Um, no, every action that you do stands alone. But it also reminds us that we never, the battle of life never ends. And every moment we're going to battle, every morning that we wake up, we're going to battle. You never get to retire until the day you die. You cannot trust yourself, cannot trust anybody else either uh, until the day we die. Because as long as we're alive, we struggle with these two sides within us each and every single day. Yes, Paul. Yeah, my uh, mentor, I'm an investment banker who I worked with for 40 years. He always, he wasn't Jewish, but he always uh, taught us, do the right thing. Do the right thing, yes. Do the right thing because it's the right thing, not because I have anything to gain out of it, right? That's, that's the message of our godly soul. So ideally, we should have our godly soul win every battle in life, right? So we should always be focused on doing the right thing rather than focusing what's in it for me. What am I going to gain? So you always ask yourself, what's the right thing to do? And that's the way we should always think. And that's what our godly subconscious soul is always pushing us towards. But it's actually easier if we could avoid battling as much as possible. How do you avoid battling as much as possible? And the truth is that this is part of our purpose and mission in life. What we really need to do is we need to get our intellectual soul and our animalistic, instinctive part of our soul, our natural soul. We have to get it to want to do the right thing. How do we do that? We do that by training ourselves to appreciate what makes a better me, what's the best thing for me when I do the right thing. And the more we appreciate that the best thing for ourselves is to do the right thing, the best I'll be the happiest, and I'll feel the most fulfilled, and I will, um, my life will be the best when I do the right thing, when I do what I'm supposed to do, when I fulfill my life's mission. Then what we can do is we could get our animal soul on board to want to do the right thing. And that is really the ideal, not just to win each battle, because if life is a constant battle every day, day in, day, day out you battle, it becomes very tiring. So the ideal is to train ourselves and push ourselves to learn to always want to do the right thing and value and appreciate doing what God wants of us. Or in the words of our sages, make God's will your will. I should want to do what God wants. Once I want to do what God wants, then my animal soul, my self-centered part of myself, wants to do what God wants as well. And then life is no longer a battle. Now the truth is that the battle never disappears because your instinctive soul will still always go back to its kind of natural state which is what's in it for me and um, I want this and I want that and I need this and I need that. So even then that battle itself of getting our instinctive soul to recognize 
that the best thing for me is to do the right thing. That itself is a battle, but it's an easier battle. And so that's what we should ideally be striving towards, recognizing that doing the right thing, doing what God asks of us, that is the best thing for me. That is ultimately what I should be doing. So life is this constant battle. And we should never be upset at ourselves. Also, if we fail, recognize life is a battle. Just keep going. Fix it and keep going. Because life is a constant battle. Don't be angry at yourself if you fail. Definitely don't be angry at yourself if you struggle with temptation to do the wrong thing. Because... We live with temptation. That is our instinctive soul. That is a part of ourselves. That is who we are. It is normal. Even if you've never done what you're tempted to do, you're still going to have those temptations because that's normal. That is your instinctive soul. We have these two sides within us. We're constantly battling. The battle is never going to disappear. But the idea would be to teach our animal soul to want to do the right thing it's the best thing for me to want to do the right thing i will be the happiest i will feel the most fulfilled i will be a better me if i do the right thing that is the ideal but life will always be that constant battle never tire of the battle never get uh, never never get frustrated or overwhelmed by the battle recognize that every single day in life we're going to continue fighting we will continue um we will continue with that battle. You've got to keep working, right? You can never relax for a moment. Life is constant work. You don't get to relax from this battle of life until the day you die.